0: How's it going, everybody, and welcome welcome to episode number 83 of Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode, we're talking about the subject of biochar. And biochar is something that many gardeners will have heard about. A lot of craft gardeners and professional gardeners are well aware of it and use it. But I think there's probably less of a knowledge of biochar and the benefits of it you know, for general gardeners, including myself, I've never actually used it. I have writ- uh, read a little bit about it and heard a little bit about it from other people, but I've never used it, so I'm not quite sure about it. Um, and today I'm joined by Dr. Karen Nohanlon. Karen has her own company, which specializes in biochar. It's ProBioCarbon. So basically it's biochar, which is inoculated with um, beneficial bacterias as well. And so you're getting the dual benefit there. And this company is set up in Ireland and Some of the products are getting real traction with some, you know, sort of niche growers like bonsai growers who are very, very specialized in what they do. Also, alpine growers use it. But it has benefits for vegetable gardening, as we heard from Colin from Airfield a couple of weeks back, and lots of other benefits, you know, within your garden and within, I suppose, horticulture and agriculture in general. So, Karen, you're very, very welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Thanks
1: for having me.
0: Um, as I say, biochar for for me personally, I know a little bit about it, I've heard a bit about it, um, have come across your business previously, but I don't know that much about it, I suppose, because I've never used it. I guess if you if you use these things you get you get more, I suppose, used to how they work, how they interact with the soil and the benefits and so on. So maybe just for the sake of myself and for anybody who might not know, tell us exactly what biochar is and what benefits you know it brings to the soil and to your garden and then obviously your company is is a slightly more advanced version of that where you're adding things to it so you can tell us about that then as well
1: okay um yeah biochar is um, a carbon based product so the the biochar that i would use is made of olive stone wood or sunflower husk and it's about 80 percent carbon and um it's, it's an organic material, so it's pyrolyzed at a very high temperature. So it's burnt at four, 450 to 600 degrees centigrade in the absence of oxygen. So this prevents it breaking down into ash. So it's a hard carbon substance. Um, it was first discovered um, that from the Amazonian region um, thousands of years ago, where the natives uh, used to... Use biochar and mix it with animal feces and spread it on the land so now we have these vast areas in the amazon region of of black soil, and this is where it's come from and um, the The benefits of it is like it has broad uh, uses not only in horticulture so it's used like in the building industry and um, it sequesters carbon so carbon okay. attracts carbon so if you bury one kilogram of biochar in the soil you sequester 3.5 kilograms of co2 from the atmosphere so this is um a real benefit for climate change and you have companies like the big um, tech companies now have to offset their their carbon, carbon footprint yeah um, so, yeah so what they're doing is they're they're getting farmers and, and other growers to to use biochar and then they say that they've, you know, sequestered so much carbon and they buy it off the farmers. And um, so this is going on now in the last say, year. I think Microsoft have done that. And um, during the production of biochar, you can produce things like bio oil and syngas. Okay. It's, of course, used in horticulture and the benefits are shown. And um, it also reduces the runoff of nitrogen because it's it acts like a sponge and um, it absorbs water and it absorbs the the minerals in the soil Um, it also um, solubilizes phosphate so um, it it increases the ph and then this makes the phosphate more available to the plant and then if you have microbes within the biochar too they make the phosphate bioavailable too so it's preventing that locked in uh, effect of phosphate in soils and um, it absorbs contaminants um, it's used as an animal feed um, so it uh, absorbs toxins that the animal may have ingested okay. so this is used a lot um, across europe and in germany they would feed it to turkeys to immature turkeys to um, they often die very young turkeys so this is to prevent turkey loss uh, it's used in other, other poultry um, and it's used in for horses and animals it's used um it's in bedding for animals so it absorbs and um, smells like ammonia and stuff from slurry okay. and it reduces um the trace gas emissions from from soils when you apply it, apply it as in horticulture wow. so there are the they're, huge range so there's there's documents produced you know the cascading uses of biochar and there's 55 uses of biochar and you can you know use a few you can put it into the animal first and then the animal will exc- excrete it across the land and then it'll be useful for horticulture that way so there's huge
0: Well, wow, so yeah so it, it becomes part of the of the side web and uh and, and it remains there over time and yeah. becomes inoculated then with the with the different soil microorganisms
1: yeah exactly it, it doesn't break down because it's it's so okay. so hard carbon 80 uh, percent carbon and unlike
0: yeah it looks very like it looks very like uh, I guess charcoal that you put on a barbecue essentially doesn't it yeah
1: yeah it does like in in um in animal feed terms it's called vegetal carbon and for horticulture it's called biocharbon it's basically the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Charcoal. Charcoal in, and, in animal feed too. It's
0: called. Okay, so like we're talking about a, a vast and wide range of benefits, and I'm going to go back to what, something you said there that is totally not garden related. <laughs> um, so they're feeding it to turkeys. So yeah. is what are they thinking here? So that they feed it to the turkeys at a young stage, and that's to reduce, obviously, to keep the turkeys alive. But is it is that reducing the amount of antibiotics being used then? In that chain is that is that what's happening
1: um, yeah so there, there's other organisms like one of the organisms i use bacillus subtilis that's used as an, an animal feed as well so they they feed the poultry uh, bacillus subtilis and the biochar yeah and it's it's just reducing the losses uh the toxins um the toxins that are ingested by turkeys, for for some reason, I don't know, an awful lot about turkey production, yeah. but they they die in infancy a lot um, compared to.
0: But the the principle of it is really interesting in that, like we know that there is quite a lot of of these you know, antibiotics and things used in in you know in the in the poultry industry, so that would be really interesting if if there's benefits there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. just to just to take it back to I suppose gardening terms, um. A home gardener or or a gardener, you know, market gardener, or so on. What what are the the direct benefits of biochar? And then, I suppose, talk about what what you've done. You know, the sort of added they added value to the biochar, then as well. What you've done in, within ProBioCarbon.
1: Yeah, I suppose for your hobby gardener, um, you're you're using it, and you know you're doing something for climate change. You are sequestering carbon, so that's that kind of feel good that you're you're using a, a yeah. product um that is sustainable um these are organic registered um and that they're sequestering this carbon dioxide and um, as an alternative to peat so um you know the the carbon recalcitrance in biochar is 80% whereas in peat it's 40% and um, so it also acts as a sponge so when i when i produce say, the olive stone biochar it's a certain weight if you, you quench it with water because it absorbs water and then it dries out and it's considerably lighter when it dries out so it, it, it does act as a sponge um, and i suppose for, for periods of drought and um, this would be useful that it'll absorb water and hold on to water and so that's when when uh colin was talking about that trial in airfield with the potatoes there was um a dry spell there in ireland a few weeks ago so he um they didn't apply any water so that could have been one of the reasons we we did better in the trial than the control and also the biochar has a huge surface area so you know one teaspoon of biochar is a surface area of a football pitch for example and within these crevices, this is the home for the microbes. So okay. I coat the biochar with a beneficial microbe, but you know, other microbes will move in whenever it's in horticulture. And so you want the ones like pseudomonads, you want uh, bacillus, rhizobia, those type of ones to move in. And then I, I kind of, how I explain it simply, it's like the the plant is farming the microbes. And the biochar is are like the outhouses, the the farm buildings, or the micro
0: the stores. Yeah,
1: exactly. So they're sitting yeah. there. They're in these crevices, and um, it's around the root of the plant. And these bacteria, these endophytes, bacteria, mycorrhiza, and bacteria, um, can move in and out of the biochar and uh, go into the plant. Through they get eaten by the root of the plant into the plant to exert their effects. Then whenever they're hungry, they've given deposited all the, the uh, minerals to the plant. They then come back out through the root and then go off and, and scavenge for more. So it's it's just uh, um, in or around the root. It's, it's good root health. It's home for the beneficials and um, it improves disease resistance in the plants. Um, We've done trials where we've applied it in the growing media between five and thirty percent, and there's no difference between five and thirty percent. So we would say put it in the soil um, at about ten yep. percent.
0: Okay, so at a lower level. At a lower level. Once, once the carbon or once the biochar gets inoculated you know the, there is no difference between applying more of it or not it's if if it's there it's there all the time
1: yeah exactly so so yeah so compared to to other um you know organic products it, it might be more expensive so we say just you, you don't need to apply more than 10 percent, and then it doesn't break down like peat and that so it it's there for for a long duration yeah
0: and it's not a repeat application then, so you're, no, no, you're using it. No,
1: it 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 just stays there, yeah, indefinitely. Um, like I have it out in the garden and I I can if I sprinkle it on top two years later I can still see that it's intact, you know. <laughs> it really yeah. doesn't break down.
0: Yeah. And and obviously the organisms that attach to it are are get inoculated into it. They're they're remaining there as well.
1: Yeah, so so I would for the biochar, I uh, inoculate Bacillus subtilis because the other organisms aren't as stable as it. It's a spore former, so I can just inoculate the the biochar with Bacillus subtilis, bag it and it forms a spore. So it's very stable. So it's it's always there, whereas the other ones would die off. And and then you when you apply that to the soil and they have they have the bacillus subtilis there. So when you're adding it to soil, it's then getting water. It's getting, you know, things that it needs to come out of the spore and to spiral it and go into its vegetative state. So um, then it exerts all its benefits of having bacillus subtilis in the soil. And
0: and, and in relation to bacillus then, what, what are the actual benefits for, for, for soil and plant? of bacillus itself
1: yeah so so bacillus would be probably the the most well-known and um, beneficial endophyte it's bacteria um so it it's known to it produces a lot of things so it, it actually acts as a fungicide so it works on things like like root rock rot like rhizoctonia fusarium it produces a, um, a lighted um polypeptide which punches holes in these um, disease-causing fungi and instead of really an outright kill it just um removes their strength so they become okay. virulent and in fact these these pathogenic fungi can then become beneficial as in they become the high fare road network for the beneficial bacillus to transport into the plant So um, it's kind of like a a battlefield and playground that goes on around the route between the good and the bad um, bacteria. Yeah, Um, it's
0: amazing. Yeah, some of what you're saying now, and it makes sense because you've told me that some of the, you know, the best bonsai people around the country, around the world, in fact, have started to see the, the benefits of your products. And I suppose some of what you've said there, it, it retains moisture. So that makes sense for bonsais because it's, it's a restricted area. Um, it, it lasts, which again, you know, typically other foods or other products that you apply, you apply them. There's a certain time of benefit and then they're gone. So this is retained in the soil remains and and grows in fact over time so you can see why why they're going for it but that's a really interesting one with the bacillus Mm -hmm. so it doesn't it doesn't kill a disease it it just weakens it yeah and then after it weakens it it actually uses it to move move into the plant that's that's incredible yeah
1: no it is but they really some really interesting results i'm getting with the bonsai and it, it, it's great because I've supplied all these bonsai growers around the world and they're, they're really enthusiastic people and they, they do the research for me. You know, they, they'll analyse a tree and they'll come back and they'll, they'll show me data and that. And I, Up until then, I really didn't know a lot about bonsai. But um, yeah. these microorganisms are back budding old barks. So, you know, there was a 300-year-old Scots pine and it produced these buds all along the the old bark and what it's doing is the the bacillus and and probably pseudomonas and rhizobia are are going out into these buds, producing phytohormones and triggering production of these buds and they're they're coming back with all these photos and and what's happening and so I suppose the, the Bonsai trees have been under a lot of stress. The root is all gnarled up in the pot and um, it's probably suffered from a lack of biology because, you know, trees out in the wild, they can communicate with each other by um, yep. fungi and bacteria and also spito hormones through the air and that. Whereas with, with Bonsai, it's, it's really contained. And so when yeah. you actually do give it some biology, they respond really, really well. And um, so I suppose that I think going forward, that this type of approach will be great for urban trees. Because,
0: yeah, urban trees and a couple of I know a couple of people growing alpines and they use biochar, but now now it's becoming clear why. Yeah, because all the urban trees, bonsais, alpines, they're all grown in a restricted space generally. And as you said, they're starved of that. Um, I suppose what 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 would typically be in the wild—that uh, you know all the bacteria and so on. So yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Just to take it back another bit, you 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 said about the bacillus attacking the you know the harmful bacteria in the ground, mm-hmm. and and it doesn't kill it; it it weakens it as such, and then and then uses it. But if you if you Talk about say, a a flower that that many people have trouble with in roses. Mm-hmm. If if somebody's using say biochar or probio carbon, you know your your products on roses on treating the ground there. Is there any benefit in that? That it would it would have beneficial effects on the diseases that cause ro- rose go- growers a lot of trouble.
1: Um, yeah, well, I suppose I I actually. Have a lot of roses myself, so I, I try it on roses. But I suppose with, with me, my approach to roses is I don't, I don't treat it with anything. Um, I just yep. let nature either kill off or you know the, the stronger ones will survive. Um, so I, I do with the roses. I do apply biochar and um, the bacteria too, like I you know any waste and. Um, microbes, I'll just spill over my own roses. And I don't really have any disease now. And I don't know whether that's just patience and you know survival of the fittest. Um, but I don't have the black spot. I, I just yeah. don't have have anything really. Um, I, I, and yeah. I do have the aphids, but you know they'll come in April and but they won't destroy it at all. I just leave them and I think a lot of this is just having patience and and putting up with a, a little bit of disease, and yeah. letting it fight.
0: Through. But it, I think that's like what you've said about the bacillus. So if the bacillus is able to get in there and and fight these, you know, these d- diseases mm-hmm. and weaken them down, and then gives the plant a chance to strengthen, and when the plant strengthens, it becomes less disease less disease vulnerable i guess and so you'd imagine there that even even if there is no proven benefit on on roses for example Mm -hmm. i would say that there has to be there has to be a benefit there so if if it's getting into the soil and you're building up the beneficial bacteria around the root then the plant itself is getting healthier so yeah you'd imagine there would have to be and your roses while you're not doing it on a trial and you you haven't tested it as such, I would say that it yeah. has to have some. There has to be some benefit in what you've been doing.
1: It's it's also the phytohormones that they produce. So a lot of this, like I've even seen in in trials where you you have potted plants um, in a wholesale nursery, yeah, and you apply these beneficial microbes, and you know they're in potted plants. They're not even in in the same soil. And after a few weeks, you see a one line next to the treated starts looking like the treated, and then a week or two later, the next line. So these hormones are are being spread through the air as well, um, and okay. just with the soil. So they're triggering hormones in in the plant, which is beneficial, and then these are emitting them through the air as well. So you know it's. Uh, it's through the soil and through the air. There's these benefits of modulating plant hormones.
0: Wow! Um, and tell us a bit then about your own your own company and what what you do, the products that you have, and you know where where you've seen the real benefits of, of, of all of these.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose I I know from what's happening to pesticides in Europe and the world that we're, we're banning a load of them. Um, and I, I come from a microbiology background and I knew that there were a lot of organisms out there that could do similar things to, to the, to the uh, pesticides. So I would have known that the Bacillus, of course, because that, that's even registered by Bayer as a product, Yep. And then pseudomonads has other benefits, and and I have a range of them. Bacillus simplex, and Azotobacter and is a nitrogen fixer one. So um, for I suppose I was I was doing bespoke for for various different people. So wholesale horticulture, you know, they want in the winter time they want um, organisms to protect over the winter, so that come the spring that they can then. You know add other ones to them that will cause flowering and that. So um I I do a mix. So say for if I have a grower who wants some for protection in the autumn, I would use some organisms, put them together and that's that's the product that they would use. And then come spring I'd add another that would increase yield and, and things like that. Um, so I suppose it's it's just all um it's feedback from growers as well. You know, yeah. if you supply to a grower in the autumn and then they tell you come spring that I had very little losses over the winter, and then once that happens, then they, you know they're going gr- to they're going to make more money because they'll have less losses. Yeah,
0: and um, when you say they're looking for something to protect over the winter, this is protection against what now? Is this disease? Is it?
1: Yeah, it's all the. the you know, um, the Rhizoptonia, um, Fusarium, it's all the root rot type things. Okay. Um, th- those type of things. But um, And it would be the same for edible horticulture too. You know, they, they would need these as well. Um, but I suppose you, you can kind of tweak it a lot for these, but, you know, the, the core ones are, the pseudomonas, the bacillus, and rhizobia—they're they're the core um, tree that are beneficial throughout, yeah, um, mm-hmm. for protection.
0: In terms of bringing it back, then for gardeners, day to day gardeners, what products do you do, and how should they be applied?
1: Yeah, so um, the for gardeners, just the the biochar, so they can sprinkle it over the surface of the soil and it'll eventually make its way down or they apply it at potting um, and you go down to the root. So ideally, you know, if you are planting something, you would dig a hole and put some biochar in there, soak it and then put the the plant in with the the root touching the biochar. So in around there. Um, So ideally, we would say you don't need to go down any further than, say, 30 centimetres because if that's where the, the root of the plant is. and um, You don't have to go really yeah. deep. Um, that that product. And then also there's the, the bacteria. So it would be really for the root, I would say, to use um, the organisms I mentioned. So you, you spray it at the root. But then also if you have some disease later in the season, and um, just to apply Bacillus subtilis as a foliar spray and that will, will kill a lot okay. of the foliage diseases. So it's a fungicide, a natural fungicide.
0: Yeah, uh, Bacillus is, is really effective and I know there's a lot of companies working on it on, on large scale to sort of try to roll out to market, but whether that'll happen or not. But yeah, it is, it's proven, well proven to be a natural fungicide.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then you see that the organisms I have, I isolated from Irish soils. So we know that they will work well here um, okay. compared to, to, you know, ones that you may bring in from abroad. They may be slightly different. Um, I'm sure they're beneficial too, but there, there will be maybe establishment problems um, in the soils, the Irish soils. Yeah, so
0: these ones, these ones are specifically from Irish soils. So they'll They'll naturally take off here. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yeah. so the biochar, then you're saying use it at planting time, whether that's trees, shrubs, um, you know, anything really, veg, you're you're applying it at planting time or potting time. And definitely it sounds like anybody who's potting something for the long term, whether that's a, a tree or a rose or you know, climber that's going to be in a restricted area, then it, it would sound like this is really something that you should be applying in in those restricted areas where they don't have access to the open ground as such yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah.
0: yeah and then the the bacillus then so you have you have some products so you have straightforward biochar as well but you have some products then which are biochar mixed yeah I, you?
1: actually i for, for most of all my horticulture i apply bacillus subtilis to the biochar okay for, for a bit. yeah yeah i just so you know, I, I come from mainly a microbiology background, so I believe totally in the microbes. And I used biochar really as a carrier. But yeah. just as I've been using it, I've realized that the benefits of it too. So, um, yeah, so it, it's I, I coat everything with bacillus subtilis.
0: Yeah. And you said earlier that I think it was one one teaspoon equated to a surface area of a football pitch. Um, yeah. I presume that's because it is, and you would obviously need a microscope to look at it. But it's highly porous, so because of yeah. all these pores, you have an awful lot of open space where these microbes can get into.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you can you can get it measured. You can get the surface area of the biochar measured, and um, it's it, it varies depending on what your starting material is. So. Yeah. Something like, um, you know, green waste wood would have a, a really high surface area. And um, we have a project in Ireland that he uses rushes that also has very good surface area. Some other material hasn't got as good a surface area. So you really want you want to balance it, the surface area. Um, which will improve this cationic exchange capacity between the minerals and the the soil and in and out of the biochar. So whenever you're looking, whenever you're getting lab measurements done, you're looking at the pyrolysis temperature. So that's the temperature that you heat it up. It should be, you know, up to 600 degrees is ideal. And you're looking at the surface area um, and those two measurements will determine how how good your biochar is, and um, because all biochar isn't the same, and yeah. some you know some people will make it you know some people can make it out of dairy waste. what we're looking at using as wasteful material as possible to produce biochar, and um, but some doesn't produce very good biochar. So, you know, some in some cases people have used bad biochar and say, "Oh, that's that's just rubbish." And it's just because the starting material, the pyrolysis temperature, and the surface area varies. So there, there, there's a European biochar certification now. So um, ideally, you you get it certified and all these measurements are done. So it's so early days in biochar that that it needs to be standardised better.
0: Yeah early days but it does seem like because of the vast amount of benefits across horticulture agriculture uh, it's definitely going to becoming more and more of a thing and when you hear like bonsai growers and i don't know i know next to nothing about bonsais I'll, i'll be honest but what i do know about them is that the people who are specialists these bonsai masters like they are watching for the tiniest of tiniest of changes in a plant every day, and yeah. while you or I might look at it on a monthly basis and see next to no change, they could notice the tiniest of things because, as you said, you're 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 working with three hundred year old trees in certain cases, and they're 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 so particular. It's yeah. like it's yeah. it's real science, like
1: yeah, they're um and they they look at um like the internode spacing so that that was something we noticed too that it's reducing the internode spacing which makes a you know a hedge bushier um, yeah. and it it makes their their tree fuller so what they what they do is they they want they're actually merely artists first before horticulturists. yeah so they want the starting material to be you know if you have a, a tree with lots to work on then you can cut it and style it to what you want if you, if you just had a few straggly branches it'd be difficult for yeah. to, you to make it into something artistic but they want lots of of branches and lots of um, short internode spacing and um, you know bushy, trees so that they can then style it into, into different things so, so they're looking out for those type of things and then if they have something with uh, apical dominance and, and no branches lower down that's not good so by applying these biologicals biochar and the microbes they're finding these buds are coming out on the, the stem lower down which is a huge benefit to them as well so um yeah there's lots
0: there's lots of data being generated in bio in um, bonsai, which is great yeah and I think all of this is going to is going to come more and more to the fore when when these benefits start to be i suppose realized in in agriculture and horticulture and uh, you know even even in people's gardens i guess once once it starts to be more commonly used and more commonly i suppose the benefits spoken about a little bit more commonly um your own company is ProBioCarbon uh, maybe just tell us again where people can find you and, you know, any of the other things that we may not have covered so far in relation to, to your business.
1: Yeah, I, um, I have a website, uh, probiocarbon.ie and um, not really in retail. I, I I tried retail, but because of the, the um, lifespan of the biologicals, it's, it's, It's hard to get them to to uh, store it properly. So I I think it's best for now, maybe in a year or two, it it will be more um, available in retail. But for now, it's it's not. And so it's available on the website. um, And yeah, there's a shop on the website.
0: And what is the the lifespan? So if somebody buys it, they need to use it in, in a certain period of time.
1: Yeah, so it's they're stabilised. Um, the microorganisms are stabilised in glycerol. They're in liquid form. Um, and you see, when you use different organisms, some, like bacillus, likes 10 degrees. Pseudomonas is best at 4 degrees. And so when you're putting them all in together, it's it's kind of like I say, okay, 4 degrees for them all. Yep. But, um, you know, that, that means that retail will have to have a fridge. So I make it up in, in certain batches. Um, and then I do a, you know, use by date. Um, but I okay. have control of it until the the grower gets it. And then once the grower gets it, the, the growers I have, they know that they they dilute it one in seventy, and they they spray it on, or they use the biochar. The Biochar is very stable, but not okay. the liquid microbes. And um, and so for
0: the gardeners, then they need to use that in in a pretty quickly after get, it then I guess.
1: Yeah, it, it's, you see, it's, it's getting the, the gardeners away from this feeling that you use a bit and you save it because yeah. it's like a yogurt. If you save it, it will go off. So you're yeah. better off in order to save it, you put it on the soil. Um, and it's trying to get them to change their mindset for that because they go, oh, you know, I'll, I'll use a little bit now and I'll put it away. Keep a bit then, for next year. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's going to be dead. So you're yeah. better off using it in one go and next year your plants will see the benefit of you using it last year, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, because so it, it doesn't, it actually increases in the soil rather than...
1: Yeah, you know, exactly. It, yeah, it reproduces in the soil. once conditions are, are right, so it's the same as for plants, you know, the temperature heats up, they have water, they have all the conditions is right and then it'll reproduce. So they even reproduce once they're in the plant and conditions are right in the plant, they'll reproduce um
0: so yeah okay so it's probiocarbon.ie and you can find all all the products there and uh, all the contact details and so on are there
1: yeah exactly
0: it really is it's a it's a fascinating subject i think uh we're going to hear a lot more about it as time goes on because the benefits are clear um the fact that it can be used across so many channels so many industries it's uh It really is interesting, and I do think we're going to hear a hell of a lot more about biochar as we go on. Uh, Karen, it's been a great chat, Um, really knowledgeable. Some of the, I suppose, the scientist terminology I, I don't understand, but you've explained it brilliantly. And as I say, I think the benefits are real for gardeners. So thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. All right.
1: Thanks, John.
0: So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Karen for coming on. It's really interesting, as I said. Um, I do think, and I've seen some of the top-end growers talking about about biochar and the benefits that they've seen from it. So I think it's something that will become more and more beneficial, or more and more known about as time goes on. Um, As I say, Colin from Airfield was on a couple of weeks back. He was speaking about it. I've seen a lot of the top-end alpine growers speaking about it and karen has mentioned about the bonsai growers when you when you see those guys talking about the benefits of it and the fact that you apply it once and it remains in your soil provided the conditions are right you know it can only be beneficial in the garden especially if you're planting in restricted root zones and so on where there is no natural biology there so yeah i think i think going forward this is going to be going to be something that a lot more people will 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 come to know and come to use and come to trust in their gardens uh, if you're enjoying the podcast please share it with all your garden friends and you can find me on the social channels it's in facebook and instagram at mastermygarden and if there's anything you'd like me to cover in any future episodes just let me know it's info at mastermygarden.com so that's been this week's episode thanks for listening and until the next time happy gardening <laughs>